Do you often find that your community is just not from enough for your standards? Welcome to the Transformative Duff. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 59 of Tractate Nadarim, and we learn that God wants us to worship and observe Torah all together as one. Maintaining stricter vows is like worshiping upon a foreign altar. Welcome to the Transformative Duff, and thank you for being my Chavrissa today. I like to begin with a story. During the late Second Temple period, the mainstream Torah-observant Jews were known as the Pharisees. These traditional Frum Jews carried the banner of the Masorah, practicing all the rites of the written Torah and the oral Torah passed from one generation to the next, hearkening all the way back to Sinai. The heretics of the day were known as the Sadducees, and they denied the authority of the oral Torah. But these two groups were not the only ones around at the time. A radical group of ascetics called the Essenes lived in the area around the Dead Sea. Presumed to be the authors of the Dead Scrolls, they considered themselves more pious than regular Jews. They would immerse in the mikvah frequently and many would engage in celibacy. They lived so-called spiritual lives, possessing no money and shunning material property. To join the group, there was an initiation period of three years, followed by a vow committing to the sects, ideals, and ways of life. On today's stuff, Rabbi Nassim presents the sage's ambivalent attitude toward vows of abstinence. Let's look at the Gemara. Rabbi Nassim said, anyone who vows, it is as if he built a personal altar outside the temple. And if he fulfills that vow, it is as though he burns an offering upon it. Let's analyze the Gemara. What's the connection between making a promise and constructing a private altar? The Maharal explains that making a promise or an oath to abstain from matters that are permissible removes a person from the community just as a private altar would. For example, let's take the classic vow of a Nazarite. An individual vows to abstain from wine or grape juice as well as from attending funerals in addition to his haircutting prohibition. When he receives an invitation to his neighbor Simcha, he politely declines. After all, as our sages teach, we tell a Nazir, don't go anywhere near a vineyard, lest he be tempted to drink. The next day, his friend's loved one dies. I'm sorry I can't attend the funeral, he explains, because I'm a Nazir. Meanwhile, in both cases, the celebrant or the mourner says to himself, why is he burdening everyone else with his religiosity? And in time, his friends simply stop inviting him to their life cycle events. He has separated himself from the community and is doing his own thing on his own private altar. Private altars, of course, are forbidden. At one time in our history, they were tolerated. But once the tabernacle was planted in Shiloh and elsewhere, and later when the Holy Temple was built in Jerusalem, personal non-communal worship became forbidden. Hashem wants us to serve Him all together. Nowadays, few people adopt the Nazarite lifestyle. But when it comes to serving heaven, everyone has his personal stringencies and religious devotions. That's a good thing, so long as they don't impinge on one's ability to be part of the community. Let's try some generalized examples. Perhaps you're living in a community where everyone eats the local hechsher, but you've decided that the rabbi relies on certain leniencies and your family will be stricter. Consequently, you won't attend any community events. Or maybe you feel that the local Jewish school is not firm enough for your children, and so you decide to homeschool them. Or that the local mikveh doesn't meet your personal religious stringencies, and so you travel out of town to attend to your family's ritual needs. Or that you'd like to keep the sphera stringencies for the entire Omer period, and so you decline all simcha invitations even when everyone else is attending. All these are what we call building your personal altar. 
Is it actually forbidden like sacrificing on a personal altar? No, it's not. One is permitted to make vows, but it's similar to building that altar because one has separated oneself from the community. The Maharal is acknowledging that it's not always easy to live as part of a community. Everyone will have his personal proclivities and approaches to religious practice. But God wants us to serve him altogether, and oftentimes that requires compromise and cooperation. Maintaining a special chumrah or two is fine, but if everything you're doing is at odds with everyone else around you, something's not quite right. Rather than drawing down the divine presence into this world, you might be causing others to disrespect heaven. If you find that your religious practices are separating you from your local community, you basically have two choices. Either be prepared to compromise the local standards, provided of course that they're halakhically acceptable, or find a community that fits your religious lifestyle. Baruch Hashem, we have Torah-observant communities for everyone, each with its own distinctive style and approach. For the most part, seeking out a community in which you can participate fully is the right way to go. But even that path is not without its risks. In certain rare situations, people with extreme religious views and practices are led to marginal leaders and groups. The Jewish people have produced marginal groups like the Essenes who lived around the Dead Sea. Today's equivalent are groups like Lev Tahor, who believe themselves to be extraordinarily committed to religious observance. The fact that they cannot comport to the norms of the mainstream Torah community demonstrates, though, that they've built their own personal altar. Instead of figuring out how to worship God alongside their brethren, they've marginalized themselves, believing that their altar is the correct one. An element of the Essene ritual was a meditation over the names of angels. That sums up the problem with such approaches. Individuals and groups that detach themselves from the community strive for a religious devotion that is separate from this world. They view themselves as angels on earth and seek to deny all physical connection. But if God wanted us to be angels, he wouldn't have placed us here in this world. We could have remained in heaven. We're here to be part of the world and engage with it. The more we engage, the more we fulfill our mission on earth. May you forever strive to be an essential member of the community, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Daf Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Daf Yomi global movement, there's something in the transformative Daf for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the Daf with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose. Transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, The Transformative Daf.